I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. We're looking at the, the topic today on the winning mentality. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In this portion of Scripture, we have this analogy Paul is giving of athletes in a contest. Uh, and this was what was going on in the, in the city of, of Corinth. Uh, there were races. In fact, apparently every three years, there were the, the Isthmian Games, which were held right outside of the city. So it was a big event, and a lot of people came out of the city to experience all of this. And so for Paul, what he's saying is that life was a race like that. And every contestant had to have a winning mentality. And not only that, every contestant needed to learn self-discipline, just as we've just read in those verses. And so these Corinthians, they knew that any athlete who participated in these games, in these races, had to take an oath to train for 10 months. How many know that's quite a long time? Almost a whole year they would have to go into strict training. They must give up certain nice foods that they would normally enjoy in their diet to enable them to endure the race. They must go through, you know, rigorous discipline in order to win. And so the aim of life, as, as, as far as Paul saw it, is that we run the race in a way so that we can be useful to God and be an instrument for, an instrument for Him. Amen? And so this is what talk, Paul's talking about, to be used whenever and wherever God desires. That's the objective to the race. In other words, when Paul woke up in the morning, that was the first thing going on in his mind. This is what set the tone of his day as soon as he got up in the morning. And so Paul had this winning mentality. And what he was really passionate about was that he would uh, be one who completed his race. And this is why he is encouraging us through these, this scripture here in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. Uh, some years ago, now I was... Um, heavily into sports and fitness. I, I was uh, into a, playing a lot of uh, competitive football. Uh, I also was studying sports nutrition and sports science, anatomy and physio physiology, really kind of love that subject still. But I was also mixing with a whole kind of, a lot of other sportsmen who were good in their own sport, rugby players, basketball players, people in athletics, uh, but people that also went to high ranks in the Marines and regiments in the Army. And one thing that I learned back then is that no matter what sport you play, in order for you to perform at your best and for you to actually reach the peak of your performance, 
you have to train hard. How many know that's true? You have to train hard. You have to put the work in. You have to put the hours in. I remember pre-season training in particular and all the sweat and all the effort that went in and putting all the hours and practicing and practicing. I remember teammates throwing up everywhere. Not a very nice scene, I know. But, but of course, preseason training was tough. And, you know, especially after people have taken a break for a while, you know, summer training just before the, the league started, everybody was really suffering in that kind of that 100-degree weather. And one thing was true is that the reason we put all of this effort in is because we were training for a purpose. We were training to be the best. We were training to, to win. And so here then is the first principle of running well and having a winning mentality. It's training. If you want to jot that down, you can today. The first principle of running well and having a winning mentality is training. And in every other area of life, we accept the fact that we have to train in order to do something well. Amen? And so if you want to become skilled in anything today, if it's medicine, maybe it's becoming a, a doctor, uh, maybe, or it's law, or maybe it's other things like computers or programming, carpentry. Jesus was a carpenter. So if you become a carpenter, you become more like Jesus. But if it's anything to do with ministry, whether it might be preaching or whatever it is, teaching, anything else, you have to prepare yourself through discipline and study, and you have to put the work in, perhaps many years of it. And the same is true when it comes to the practice of Christianity, becoming spiritually mature, gain, growing in wisdom, growing in the ministry gifts that God has given you. They all require effort, and they require some discipline from us. And that's just the way it works. If we want to, to grow in Christ, if we're really dedicated to growing in Christ, we have to discipline ourselves. How many know that's true? And so it requires discipline. We have to pray. We must read. We must study the Word. Uh, we must labor to, to put our faith into practice. And Paul, in this message, in his scripture that he's showing us, he uses the example of an athlete in these games because of the intense commitment that athletes need in order to win. They give themselves completely to their sport. They, they train their minds, they, 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 their bodies for excellence. This is what Paul is talking about. And so, you see, for Paul in this Christian life, he was set on winning the prize for God in his life. Uh, when he got up early in the morning, he was thinking about God. What was on his mind? He was thinking about completing his race. He was ready to give up certain indulgences that, you know, that he knew would perhaps distract him from his main objective so that he would actually be someone who does what God actually wanted. And so for him, the great objective was to, to win the prize, and that prize would be ultimately to please God. That was his ultimate desire. I wonder today for some of you here, no matter where you've come from, how, no matter how long you've been a Christian, I wonder how many of us have the objective of Paul the Apostle. Because all of us here will, will probably at some point in our life ask the question, what on earth am I here for? Anybody ever asked that question before? What on earth am I actually here for? And the Bible really tells us the answer to that question. It's, it tells us that God intends to use us. God made us. 
He, he wants you. He made you. He designed you with all of your gifts and your talents and your abilities that he have, the ones he gave you, so that you would be useful and that you would be pleasing to him. Amen? But the idea of a race, which Paul uses, makes it obvious that you cannot win the prize unless you have this discipline in your Christian life. He is saying to believers, uh, even today, that there is a danger of adopting these kind of lazy kind of lifestyles that have no self-discipline, and it will affect your race. It will affect the way that you live your, live your life. Paul is saying in his own life that he, he, he had to do that. He refused to give way to distractions and interruptions or laziness. We know he wasn't perfect, but he gave himself to what God wanted him to to do. He worked at it so that he could be more effective in his Christian life. How many want to be more effective in your Christian life? Amen. Wave at me. That's your desire. This was Paul the Apostle's desire. And this was his passion for the church, that we would be those who run our race and that we would be completely dedicated to improving in our Christian life. A number of years ago, if you remember, maybe some of you even attended, I was watching it on my TV screen, but we had the Olympics, didn't we? Here in London, we had people come from all around the world. And round about that time, there were a lot of interviews taking place. And um, we had, there was a group that came from, from France that came to interview the coach for the Great Britain bicycling team. And, of course, the Great Britain bicycling team, we've done so well in so many years of getting gold medals and doing so well. And the French were really curious to ask us, you know, what was the secret to our success? And it was kind of funny at the beginning because they, there was a sarcastic uh, comment made by one of the British po coaches that said, well, it's because our wheels are round. And so that went back into the tabloids and the newspapers, and there was this whole funny thing that was going on. But anyway, they got deeper into the interview. And the question to the coach was, what, what is your secret to success? And the coach responded simply like this. He said, well, we decided to improve Every cyclist's performance by 1%. We decided to improve every cyclist's performance by 1%. And then he went on to tell them to, to break that down about what that meant. Because what they had to do is they had to look at every athlete's lifestyle, every cyclist's lifestyle, and think how can we actually improve their performance. And so they started with their sleep pattern. This is what they did. They started with their sleep pattern. They were going to start to monitor how the cyclist sleep pattern, how, how well it was going. And so they started to monitor it. And this was so important because often when a cyclist is traveling all around the world, he's competing and he's performing in all these different things. And he obviously has to have a lot of good rest before he competes. And so to improve the cyclist's performance, they decided that they were going to make sure that the cyclist gets his pillow from home. And he takes it everywhere he goes with him. So every hotel that he ever stays at, wherever he goes around the world, he takes his own pillow. And so what happened is all of a, all of a sudden, they were actually starting to sleep better. The second thing they started to look at was their hygiene levels and their health. And so they were looking at a cyclist, uh, you know, their hygiene, because this is so important. Because one thing that, of course, a cyclist cannot compromise is, 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 is health. Is he cannot get sick if he wants to be at the optimum of his performance when he's cycling in those races. And so what they did is they actually started to see how when the, the, a cyclist went to the bathroom, they would watch how he would actually wash his hands. I mean, this is really what they did. 
So he went, he went, he washed his hands, and then he would come out, and then they would do a screening over his hands to see if there was any bacteria left. And if there was any bacteria left, he'd send him back to the bathroom and wash his hands again until all the bacteria was gone. And so all of a sudden, they started to see a change in the health and the hygiene levels of these cyclists, and things were improving and improving. And then finally, they looked at the, the cyclist diet, their nutrition levels, the things that they were eating. All of this was done just to improve their performance by 1%. Isn't that amazing? And as I, I was listening to this, I was reading about this, I was thinking, what if we started to apply this spiritually? What if we actually applied the same principles when it comes to the word, devotion with God, uh, uh, prayer, and all these different things that are important disciplines in the Christian life? What if we did the same thing? How many know we would probably be all the better for it if we applied these, uh, these principles spiritually? And so to have a, a winning mentality for the race before us, we must be prepared. We must be disciplined. You see, let's, let's take the analogy, for example, of a boxer. And Paul the Apostle even you, talks about a boxer here in these scriptures. Understand this, that the 30 minutes that a boxer spends in that ring is nothing compared to the amount of time that's preparing. The biggest battle for him is not necessarily the man in the ring or, or, the, or his opponent that's in the ring. It's the man standing in front of the mirror every morning. Because he's got to run those miles. He's got to train to be the best. He has to take dominion over his body. He has to get that discipline of training into his life. So as soon as he gets into the ring, he's not going to be weary. He's trained and ready. Amen? See, there's nothing that will destroy you for a battle or for a race than getting weary at the wrong time. These boxers have to train to get strength. They have to train to get stamina and perseverance so that they can actually, of course, take a punch or two in the ring. And see, the, often the biggest enemy we sometimes fight against is ourselves. The, the enemy that we fight against sometimes is our flesh. It's our laziness. It's our tiredness. But you see, the inner man has to take dominion over the outer man. Amen? The spirit man has to take dominion over the flesh. Some belts cannot be just bought. You have to win them. The Christian life is about spiritual warfare. Paul talked about this in the book of Ephesians. It's not just about easy battles. There's no victory without a battle. Sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes it doesn't take much to knock us out of the ring. The ring of life itself, sometimes when the trials come and when the punches come, we easily get knocked out of the ring. And that's, of course, what the enemy's agenda is. It's to knock us out of the ring. It is to defeat us. It is to eliminate us. But we need to understand that there is no victory without a battle. And so what happens sometimes in those weak moments, we start to focus on the wrong things. We start to get distracted uh, from running our race, and we lose our focus. We could use, uh, uh, for uh, illustration's sake, our, our military uh, I've heard that when somebody wants to join the forces, uh, I'm told that they will, they will go through much more uh, rugged training. They will put these soldiers through more grueling training, more difficult than actual real-life experiences on the battlefront. Why? Because they don't want them to check out mentally or physically, and so the training is actually worse. 
They go through training for months and months and months, and then they finally come to the, to the final training exercise, and the commander, the general, is always present to see what's going on. He's present because he wants to watch how they handle these exercises. And he will select who's fit and, and, and who's not, and then the final set of exercises, it's decision time, fit or not fit. And so the commander knows that he cannot play soft with these soldiers. And the reason these generals put the soldiers through such grueling exercises, such a tough time, is because they want to make sure that no one checks out when the going gets tough. Because everyone knows that a major rule in war is that you don't break rank. Because if you do, you not only jeopardize yourself, but you jeopardize everybody else in the operation. The word fitness, if you look it up in the dictionary, means this. Well-placed, suited for, adapted to. Well-placed, suited for, adapted to. There's a, a scripture in the Bible in, in, in Luke uh, chapter 9 where Jesus said these words. He said that no man having put himself to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, he is not well-placed, he is not suited for, he is not adapted to the kingdom of God. He is not fit. Roger Bannister, maybe you've heard of him before, was the first man in the world uh, to run a mile in under four minutes. And uh, that was in May 1954, quite some time ago now. But interestingly enough, the next month, uh, an Australian called John Landy. Any Australians in the house today? Okay, not too many. Anyway, John Landy broke the record by 1.4 seconds a month later. All of a sudden, a few months after that, there were hundreds of people breaking the record. Isn't that amazing? After one pe person broke the record, there were all these hundreds of people doing the same thing. But anyway, John Landy broke that record by 1.4 seconds. In August 1954, in the same year, a few months later, the two fastest mile runners in the world met for this historic race at the British Empire Games in Vancouver in Canada. Uh, the race was actually called the Miracle Mile. Uh, it was called the Race of the Century, the Dream Race. And so the race got underway. Roger Bannister and John Landy, they turned for their last lap. Landy was ahead. He looked certain that he was actually going to win. But as he neared the finishing line, it says he lost his focus. And allowed his mind to wonder about Bannister's position behind him. Unable to take the strain, he finally looked over his shoulder. And as he did so, his stride faltered and Bannister passed him to break the tape. Landy later said this, I would have won the race if I hadn't have looked back. If I hadn't have taken my eyes off the goal. And so here in Corinth, you've got Paul talking to the Corinthian believers. He's saying that this was, these were some of the, the, the dangers for the believers. They were falling back. They were looking back. They were falling away. But Paul says, you will never win that way. If you are not willing to give up certain things uh, and, and press toward the high calling of Christ Jesus, uh, if you don't focus your life on the single objective, you will never win. In fact, you will actually ultimately find yourself disqualified. He says, this can even happen to me, although I preach all of this. Uh, you know, if I do not do this, I could end up disqualified as well. So he's applying this to himself. But what he was really talking about was the fear that he had of being set aside. 
of losing his ministry, perhaps, or maybe losing the opportunity uh, to serve. Paul lived in the constant awareness that one day, there's a day coming when all the sons of God will be revealed. When all the world will see the reality of life and every Christian will look back over his life and will ask the question, what did I do that counted toward the glory of God? Every Christian will do that. That is the only thing that will be of value. There was an eternal perspective that Paul the Apostle had. Jesus was coming back, and during the early church, they thought that the, the second coming of Jesus was imminent. It could happen any day. This was a soon event that could happen any time. And so Paul the Apostle, when he's writing this, he's thinking of that day. And he's afraid that too much uh, self-indulgence in the, the better life, pursuing the better life, will actually trap him. So he will actually fall into the temptation to live for himself, and ultimately, he will end up on the shelf, disqualified, no longer used for God's glory. And so in Corinth, you had these people who were actually falling to the wayside. They were being disqualified. And so in light of all this, of what Paul said, the question we must ask ourselves is, how might I run my race? How many know that's an important question? How might I run my race? We've looked at discipline. We've looked at fitness and being prepared. These are all important things. But, you know, I think the trouble with many of us is we think that we can actually run this race on our own. The trouble with many of us is we think that we can actually get through the Christian life on our own. And Paul saw the dangers of this. Because he saw that, of course, when Christians are isolated and they have this attitude of just going solo, that's when they easily become prone to falling away. And this is why we at Kensington Temple, we believe so much in the cell vision. You know, they uh, have a heart for the cell vision that because it, it involves uh, providing a structure for believers to be able to walk the Christian life together, to be able to encourage one another, to run the race together, to encourage one another. So when someone falls uh, away, that we can actually pick them up and bring them back to their feet again. Because we were never designed to run this race on our own. Amen? God never intended for it to be that way. When we think in the natural, running a, a race well requires a, a good uh, support system. Most people think of running uh, as an individual sport. But that's actually far from the case. Even though there's an individual winner, there is a whole team of people working behind the scenes. Very hard. And the functioning of that team, of course, is vital to that racer's success. For example, there's a coach. There's a, a, a team physician. There's a, a dietitian. There's a trainer. There's someone assigned to carry the water bottles and just help serve the racer. Anybody ever done a marathon before? Oh, maybe we need to get somebody to sign up for one. <laughs> but if you look at anybody who's running a marathon, you'll see that, of course, you, there's people handing out water bottles all the time, isn't there? So they can actually continue with the race because without water, you cannot keep on running. And so you've got all these different people. You've got a physician, dietitian, trainer, a whole support system that's working towards a goal of getting that prize. And the race's victory would not be possible without the help of a great team and a support system. 
And when he's interviewed, often you'll see, won't you, after someone's being interviewed after a race, you'll see that they will give, you know, credit to those that have helped him along the journey. And that's only right and, pr- and, and, and proper that they do that. But in the same way, you and I need a support system. God never intended for us to function alone. That's why the church is so important to our spiritual health. That's why fellowship is so important to our spiritual health. We need each other. Listen to these passages describing how the church support system should function. There's a couple of verses. Uh, first one is Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Isn't that great? 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. What are these verses saying? We can encourage each other on the race. If someone falls, we can pick them up. If someone stumbles, we can help build them up. When someone feels like they're quitting, feels like all they want to do is quit, we can say to that person, there's only one more lap to go. You don't have to quit. No, you've still got some energy left. You can still keep on going. Don't quit now. You're almost there. I want to ask you a few questions here today, this afternoon. Are you looking for others for, for that support? Are you asking for help when you need it? Are you developing uh, relationships with others so that you can encourage them and they, they can, of course, encourage you at the same time? These are some of the things that we must do if we want to actually run the race well. Amen? This reminds me, you know, of the scripture in Hebrews about the great cloud of witnesses uh, that we read about that are in heaven now. They're cheering us on. As we run our race, those that have gone before us, they've left their legacy, they've run their race, but now they are in the crowd. They are the witnesses, and they're encouraging us to keep going. There's nothing like running when you've got a whole crowd behind you, supporting you, and saying you can do it. Amen? And in Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the the race marked out for us. And it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's Paul saying here at the beginning of these verses? He's saying that running your race is going to take perseverance. And this is so important because the race of life is hard. Anybody experienced that before? The race of life is hard. It's difficult. With all of its setbacks, with all of its disappointments and failures, we do sometimes foolish things. We sometimes make mistakes. We sin. Other people might fail us and and sin against us. We get hurt. We get discouraged. Sometimes we feel like we want to quit. We're tempted to give up. Sometimes we're tempted to abandon the fight. How do we resist that temptation? How do we gain the strength to continue? Paul the Apostle puts it like this. By looking away from the earthy things and focusing on Christ. By taking your eyes off what is going on down here. And fixing our eyes on the prize. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. When I was at school, um, I was a sprinter. I was known as uh, the sprinter in the school. I liked being the fastest in the school. I liked running the 100 meters and the 200 meters. And uh, not so much the 400, it's a bit too far. But the 100 and the 200 meter uh, sprints, I really enjoyed and competed in various competitions. And that was my race. But put me into a kind of like anything a bit more than that, maybe like a three-mile uh, run or a marathon, I was a different runner. <laughs> and I didn't do so well. I didn't perform the same way. In fact, I was running out of breath so quickly I couldn't wait until the race was over. And um, the reason I say this is that sometimes... Our life is sometimes like a sprint. Our days are sometimes like a sprint. And at other times, they seem more like a long, drawn-out, slow, painful climb up a mountain. At various times, it can be exhausting. It can be tedious. It can be discouraging. And we get weighed down by so many different things. But I'm encouraged by these words in 2 Corinthians that Paul said. He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things actually happen as they do. Anybody been in that place before? But we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and we keep going. Are those good words or what? We get knocked down, but we keep on going. So we need to understand, you know, what was going on with Paul at, at this time. We need to understand what, what was he was going through as he was actually writing these letters to the churches and where he was because he did not write these, the, these things from necessarily from his mansion up on the hill, you know, sitting in his jacuzzi or, you know, after winning the lottery or, you know, climbing the ladder of success corporately. No, often he wrote these things sometimes sitting in a prison cell unsure if he was going to die or not. He wrote these things in desperation. And so he really believed what he was saying. And so you may be here today and you're saying to yourself, maybe in your, your, your own life, whatever you're going through, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of being, you know, just so, being so down and out. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being the tail and not the head. I'm tired of being defeated and not an overcomer. But Paul's like, we get knocked down, but we get back up again. We feel like quitting sometimes, but we get back up again. And Paul in Philippians 3 verse 12, he's counseling the believers again to focus on this. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this. In other words, not that I'm perfect in any way or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So those encouraging words. Paul is talking about us looking towards the prize. In other words, finishing the race. I've got this picture uh, in my house. In fact, it's in my toilet. <laughs> and it says these words. It says, the race is not always to the swift, but to those who keep on running. The race is not always to the swift, but to those who keep on running. You see, in the Christian life, you've got to keep on running. No matter what life throws 
your way, you have to keep breathing. You have to keep living. Amen? You have to keep fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Another word that we might say is important is having that winning attitude. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, that your attitude determines your altitude. You heard that before? In other words, it determines how far you are actually going to, or how high you're going to actually reach. Attitudes are extremely powerful. Which means that defeated attitudes are actually very harmful and dangerous in your life. If you're going to have a winning mentality, you must have a winning attitude. If you're lining up for a race, Paul is saying, you know, you've got to have that desire to want to win the prize. Don't just enter the race just to kind of fall to the, right to the back. You want to have that winning mentality, that winning attitude that wants to go after the prize. And so while there may be, you know, many attributes that, that make someone a champion, whether it's in competitive sport, whether it's, you know, in events, like academics, business, or yes, of course, a Christian faith, there's one trait that makes a champion. That's the characteristic of having a winning attitude. Coming back to Philippians chapter 3, where we started off from. So what steps do I need to maintain to have this attitude of one of God's champions? By keeping the right focus. Keeping the right focus. Running well requires that we keep the goal in mind. You see, when an athlete is, is running, when he's racing, he is completely, entirely focused on winning the race. That's it. Anything else would be a distraction and would slow him down in the race. And so in the same way Paul is teaching us, the whole Bible teaches us that, that we need to be focused on Jesus. And coming to a conclusion now, what's Paul's whole point with this? Why is he saying all these things to us? He's saying this, that if they, being athletes are so dedicated, and if they're so determined, if they're willing to suffer and to go through such sacrifice, when all they are striving for is some, you know, little trophy, or a few moments of glory, things that will only last for a moment, shouldn't we be just as dedicated and determined in seeking after Christ? Isn't an eternal weight of glory worth far more than just a gold medal? God did not put you and I on this earth just to start the race. He put us on this earth to finish our race as a champion. Some of us might get used to maybe starting a race, but sometimes we're not so focused on finishing the race. But a champion is someone who fixes his eyes on the prize. He fixes his eyes on completing the race. Final illustration and it's uh, to do with someone who is learning to be a lifeguard, lifeguard training. When someone I've heard that wants to, be, uh, to train to be a, a lifeguard, the trainers will make a student do laps and laps and laps. And they will keep on having to do this until they have no energy left. Uh, the trainers uh, will leave them alone. And sometimes the students eventually will start saying, I can't do any more. They will start shouting and screaming, saying, I can't do any more. Uh, but the trainers, what's his response? He's saying, don't drown. Don't quit. And he leaves the student just to keep on swimming. And so they keep on swimming. They keep going. And then for, uh, again, a few minutes later, they start screaming again and saying, I can't do any more. 
I can't do any more. They're screaming and saying, I want out and I want out. And, and the trainer just looks at the student and says, don't drown. Don't quit. You see, the student is being forced to dig for resources and energy that they didn't think they had. The trainers are, are teaching them to fight and not give in to exhaustion and to persevere right to the very end. They have to make sure at that moment of weariness, they still have some energy left to keep going. And the trainer says, don't quit. Don't quit now. For some, when it, the pressure's too big and uh, things are going so wrong, every part of us wants to cave in and just to quit. Saying, this is too hard. I, I, I didn't buy into this. This is not what, you know, I didn't sign up for this. But do you see, to be fit, to be well-placed, to be, to be well-adapted, you've got to dig deep down in prayer. You must dig deep down in the Word. Amen? Dig deep down in the Spirit. Fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Very often, sometimes when we come to the end of our own resources, we realize that God wants to step in and show us His resources. Christ is the end of the struggle. Maybe you're in a here today, and you've taken a knock in life. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you've made a mistake or two. Let me encourage you today, don't quit now. Get back in the ring. Get back in your race. You may have fallen down, but don't stay down. Amen? Get back in your race. Don't quit. No matter what someone's done to you, don't quit. Because the wonderful truth is today is that despite sometimes however we may feel, we have someone who never quits on us. We have a Savior, Christ, who never quits on us. Amen? No matter how unfaithful we are, He remains faithful. And the wonderful story of the cross is that Christ went to the cross for us to rescue humanity. Despite the struggle that He went through, He was on a race to, to secure a mission, to save our souls. And at any point, he could have said, I'm through with this. I don't want to go through with this. But he submitted himself to the Father's will and said, I'll go through with this for them. I won't quit on them. And if Christ didn't quit on you, don't quit on him. Because he will never let you down. Amen. Christ will never give up on you. We sang that song here today that was so beautifully sung with Offron on the team. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the one that we cling on to, and everything else seems to be like sinking sand. He is the only one. He's the only anchor that we can hold on to. He reaches out his arm, and he says, take a hold of my hand, and I'll lift you out of the pit. I'll take you. I'll help you when you go through the struggle. Encouraging to us is to don't quit. Get back in your race. Stand up on your feet again. Amen. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Him. Even now, just in these next couple of moments, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. The reason that Christ went through everything that He did on the cross is because He saw value in you. He saw that you were precious. He saw that you were valuable. He saw you finishing your race. Despite the fact that you think that you can't finish it, Christ knows you can finish your race. But the only way that you're going to finish it is by putting your eyes on Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus this afternoon. Take your eyes off the earthy things. And fix your eyes on Him. 
His strength is made perfect in your weakness. He is the hope where you're hopeless. He is the light where you're surrounded by darkness. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful today for your faithfulness. We're thankful today that you have never given up on us. You've never quit on us. We thank you today that you are the one who picks us up. You dust us down. You give us fresh strength where we are weary. You give hope to the hopeless. We thank you for your words of life to us today. We thank you for these portions of Scripture. We ask you today you would help us take off our eyes off the earthly things and to fix our eyes on you. Jesus Christ, to fix our eyes on the prize, to press forward, to not look back, to not falter, to not lose our step. For all those who have lost their step, Lord, I pray right now, even today, that you would strengthen them, that you would bring fresh hope and fresh strength to get back on their feet again. For those that have taken a wrong path, they've diverted to the left or to the right, would you bring them back to the center of your will again today? We thank you today that our help It comes from you, Lord. You give strength. You bring stamina. You bring perseverance. You help us run the race that you've called us to. Help us get back in the race again today. For those, Lord, who seem to have lost their senses, they can't see anymore, they can't hear anymore, They can't think clearly anymore. Lord, I pray, renew senses today. I pray, let eyes be open today. Let ears be open today. Let minds be renewed. Let every eye and ear and mind be fixed on Jesus Christ. Be the center of our thoughts. Be the the center of our emotions. Be the center of our hearts. Just in your own words, say the... This is a prayer to the Lord this afternoon. Just for a few more seconds. Say, say, God, I want you to become the center of my life again. I want you to lift me. I want you to lift me from this pit that I'm in. Lift me out of the discouragement and the disappointments and the mistreatment. Lift me up into a higher place today. I'm coming up the mountain of the Lord. Just for a few more seconds. Express your heart's prayer to the Lord today. Lift up that struggle to Him. Ask Christ to come in. Invite Christ to come in. His presence. His will. So, Lord, we say yes 
to you. We say yes to your will. We say yes to your ways. We will fix our eyes on you. We will go from strength to strength. We will go higher. We will go deeper. Lord, would you be beneath us? Would you be above us? Would you surround us? Would you fill us? We say this in your name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.